your coaches, by coaches, this is Soccer Chat with Nick Rizzo and Sean Sutterling. Brought to you by social media for high school athletes. We've got a special show that we want to do for everybody because um, today was kind of a kind of a big day in soccer um, for for everyone who uh, is not sleeping underneath a, a rug or anything. Um, so let's just kind of go around and introduce ourselves and, and we'll go from there. Uh, obviously, if you listen to the show, my name is Sean Sutterling. I'm a soccer coach, been doing it for 16 years. Uh, a lot to this this election meant a lot to me just because of having two kids of my own now, and and what uh, what we do and and the the decisions that were made has an effect on my kids, and not just my kids, but the kids that I work with as well. Uh, and we'll just get around the round table and and go from there. I'm Nick. I if you listen to the show as well, I'm the other host of Soccer Chat. And John Denham, who is our other guest today, was actually my soccer coach when I was in college. Is that right? Correct. No. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Oh, I don't know. I don't think you said that last time, did you? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know <laughs> that it ever came up. But yeah, I was uh, the assistant soccer coach at the program where Nick played for his four years of college. And uh, yeah, you said 16 years before doing your thing. I was... Uh, just had to step away from my new gig recently, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's where Nick and I met. <laughs> We're going to do a whole show. Cause I want to know about Nick, the player as, as a, <laughs> as a player, as much as he talks about himself. So, um, <laughs> so obviously I think we all come from different, um, ideas of what we thought for the, um, for the election. Uh, I know, you know, Nick and I had kind of talked back and forth a little bit uh, as in the last couple of weeks about he was still trying to, he was still kind of on the fence. Didn't really know much about um, the candidates, but kind of did some, some research on his own. And um, you know, I, I think one point in one of the shows he mentioned to come about, the only thing I know about is, you know, the stuff that you've told me, um, you know, John on your end of it, things have kind of changed for you when it comes to the election because of your new um, venture with your club. If you want to kind of go into some details about that. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I'll start by saying I, I've got a son who plays as well. So in that sense, I'm in the same boat you are that, yeah, this is a generational thing. Um, I don't know, Sean, about about your parents, but I like my dad played in high school in suburban Chicago and introduced the game to me. So it's a generational thing. And now I, I think there are a lot of people who sort of grew up in that sort of, uh, you know, my p- parents may have been known about the old NASL days. And then, um, you know, I was a teenager for World Cup 94 and and those sorts of things and sort of grew up in some extent alongside MLS and also, you know, high schools all over the country, you know, adding programs for both boys and girls and things like that. And so, yeah, our kids now are are sort of that next generation of um, soccer players. So in that sense, yes, it it does affect me in that way. My new uh, position is with a UPSL expansion team uh, here in Dubuque, uh, just realigning here in the Midwest and adding teams and uh, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, as a, as a team at that point in the adult pyramid, um, I had a, a little bit more interest. I mean, I always enjoyed following the some of the more boring parts of the, the game as, as I've gotten older. And um, But, yeah, a new vested interest in sort of how things shook out uh, in the election overall. And, Nick, kind of uh, some things that you had in your, in your mind. Let's, let's kind of think about pre-election here. What were just some of the things that you as a coach were looking for in a candidate? Not so much who you were going for, but just things that, that you had heard that you felt really would benefit you as a coach or things that you heard that wouldn't benefit you and your players. 
The biggest thing that I saw that I think needed to change was, and I think you can see this reflected with a lot of people that are were invested in this election, was they wanted to see the connection between the USSF and the grassroots levels of soccer, not only with the players, but also with the coaches in terms of players not having to fork over five grand a year to play on elite clubs and for coaches to improve their own intelligence and to get their licenses and to go to seminars and to go to conventions to lower that to where it's more accessible. I think that the hardest thing that both players and coaches going through the current system we're dealing with was the fact that there seemed to be such a disconnect between the business side of the soccer world and the soccer side of the soccer world where I think any, I was looking personally for a candidate that was going to, again, get more to the ground level and try to figure out, all right, how can we make this better for all the people that are actually going to be affected by this? Yeah, for me, the, the big thing, and I think this is just my general thought process uh, anyways, is that when it comes to voting, that the people who are most affected by the vote aren't the people who get to affect the vote. And I think... You know, before we get like super heavy into it, I think that was something that kind of came away from today. So me on, on my end, uh, you know, just, just as a coach, as, as, you know, a father with children recently playing, um, which is so weird because growing up, I, I had been in situations where you saw things benefit for the people involved kids more than you did the people who's, who weren't involved kids. But I always was like, I'm never going to be that guy. I'm never going to be that guy. But when it comes to this, I really... I did, I did take things more to heart because of my own children. I, I mean, my son obviously is, is too young to play, but my daughter's just starting to play. And, and I'm thinking about her future and the, the way I want to see things. So that way, as she starts getting older now and she gets more into playing and she sees things on TV or she hears things that it really kind of helps her out. Um, for me, I wanted somebody who we can all sit here and say, you know, the, the men's national team, the tragedy from that. And that's obviously something that people wanted to see change. But I think if you if you do your research and, and thank God for John and meeting John was that's when I really got to understand the business side or, or see the business side that a lot of us don't get to know uh, that, you know, just how much of different funds are going to different places and, and you know, where things are, are going and they should be going somewhere else. For me, that's I, I have more um, want and need now for coaching education, making it easier for coaches to attend things, uh, you know. The cutting the cost where, you know, I, we, we were talking about this on, on the Twitter chat the other night about, you know, you, you, you're still trying to weed out coaches and, and make the, the courses rigorous for specific licensing, but it's so hard for a lot of us to go out and pay $5,000 or, or a plus travel and hotel and all that for an A license or B license, a C license, whatever. Um, but I wanted to see some of that surplus get put into coaching education, which is going to in turn make the kids better. Uh, you know, making it easier for kids to play. Uh, obviously, you know, I heard a great thing today when it comes to whole pay for play. If you get rid of pay for play, that's going to take away two and a half billion dollars out of soccer. Um, and when you think about that, that's kind of hard to do to, to take that much money away. So for me, it's just it mainly kind of grassroots level. I am thinking of coaching education and I'm thinking of making it easier for all kids to get involved. I wanted a candidate who, who really spoke to me and, and was something different because I felt like the last few years that, um, that we didn't get that. Uh, so just kind of what were some things that, that you guys felt from the elections today? Go for it, John. Yeah, so I I watched the um, each candidate had some time in the at the convention in Philly, and I and I set aside some time and just 
scribbled some notes because you want to hear what their stump speeches are. It's no different than any other election. You want to hear what their main points are. And I mean, I know we're kind of just as a quick review. When I, when I looked at them all, there were two sort of establishment candidates, um, Cordero, Cordero, Carlos Cordero, who's been the vice president, um, who has had a role uh, in U.S. soccer over the last 10 years, clearly what you would put under the umbrella of establishment. Um, Kathy Carter has helped Soccer United Marketing become the business side on the success that they've had and all of the things that they've contributed to the game um, and, and have worked in lockstep with U.S. soccer since I think the contract started in 2004. So 15 years worth, give or take, of, of influence and, and understanding of how the soccer in this country works. And then you had the other list of six people. Um, I think Steve Gans gets a lot of credit. He threw his name in the hat before Trinidad, and, and that can't be, you know, you can't ignore that. He he saw some things that he felt he needed to bring about and talk about and wanted to change. Um, so I think he gets credit for that. So after Cordero and Carter, the rest of these are all sort of what many people consider change candidates. You had the status quo or the establishment, if you want to call them that. And then the six other people, even if they've had roles in the game, whether it's broadcasting or players or others or, or legal or coaching, um, they just they came at it from a different perspective. Maybe the Trinidad thing was the um, little nudge that they needed to really get involved. Um, so there's a wide variety of, of things that were talked about, and it just you either fell into two camps. You were either a change person or you were a status quo person. And the way the voting worked um, – it was weighted. So the Kentucky Youth Association doesn't necessarily have the same weight as uh, the Players Council and things like that. So uh, when it was all said and done, I, what I took away from this in this unique situation was how much exposure the process got and how much more um, critical we can sort of be now because we're coming at this from a place of, of, of better understanding of how it works and what goes into it and finding the balance between uh, the inevitable bureaucracy of a federation and the grassroots day to day kids at camp, you know, soccer moms and minivans and 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 that sort of it and and what all goes into every single part of that because I, I, going back to what I was saying, Sean, I think it's sort of generational. I think we are at a point now where we've some of our parents played in high school when it wasn't popular, and and now we've there's a whole generation of players who really enjoyed this game. Uh, as kids and are now having kids of their own. And after not qualifying and with uh, equal pay for the women and some of the business side of things, be, you know, coming to light, it's it was just a chance to really be in one of those two camps. Um, you know, with Carlos winning, uh, I think it was, I mean, we can sort of toss this around a little bit, but one of the established candidates won. Um, and, and so that's where we stand today. Like it or not, um, there were some decent amount of votes. I'm going to pull up on my phone here real quick. Some of the, the, the very first one sort of was, is your best glimpse, right? Um, the first round of voting this morning when all eight candidates were in there, Cordero and Kathy Carter, the two quote unquote establishment candidates each had roughly a third of the vote. Um, and, and then nobody else, um, Eric Ronaldo was next with about 14%. Um, Kyle Martino was fourth at under 10%. And then, you know, they trickle in with Steve Gans, Hope Solo, Mike Winograd, and Paul Caligari. So 
you know, your first snapshot of what the voting members felt, um, you know, after it was weighted was that the two establishment people were the next best solution for us, which, you know, you can turn on Twitter at any time of day, any day of the week and have that argument. But that's kind of where we sit here uh, the night of the election. Here's the thing that's confusing to me um, through the surprise. Like when it ever, when I, when this all went down and it was all said and done, there were two thoughts that I had. And one that I, it, it, I don't know about you guys. I don't know a single person. And I feel like I have a good group of friends in the soccer world that wanted Kathy Carter in that position. And so when you have that and you're like, okay, like I, I'm, I, I feel like I have a good sense of at least the Midwest in terms of coaches and things like that. And you have nothing there that either, that tells me two things. One is that there is a complete disconnect between the USSF and the grassroots level and, or two, they are doing a terrible job of communicating why that candidate would be a good candidate. Like the, the fact that the athletes council was willing to go all in on Carlos was crazy to me because like Stu Holden was the guy that went on that crazy rant about how everything needed to change. And then we go to the athlete council, which he's a part of, and they reached a consensus vote and that was the route they went. And so I think there's probably something going on underneath everything that we're just not seeing because that's the only thing that explains how the vote went when it did with the athletes council, because you can't imagine that there are people that want to see the same things happen again, because they have to be passionate about USR. I mean, you see it with Holden every day, you see it with uh, some of the other people on the, the council. And I guess that's the part that was the most confusing to me is because there's a disconnect either just from a communication standpoint, or there's just a complete disconnect with they don't they don't even care what it looks like anywhere else. Well, two things on that. Um, I everything I saw today and people I talked to, Stuart Holden got a lot of flack from people and deservedly so. And I think one of the best things was uh, Hope Solo called him out huge, especially after he did his interview on Fox. And I and everybody said the same thing. He was the one who was adamant about change. We have to change. We have to change. Have to change. But yet something somewhere made him decide that staying the course was the same uh, or was the best route to go. Um, you know, who knows, who, who knows where, where that all comes from. But I, you, you mentioned something I was going to bring up about the disconnect because, and I wish I could, I could remember the tweet, but somebody talked about, if you think about those who attended the the meeting and, and I'm, I'm not knowledgeable enough of who gets to attend that. And maybe it's the state associations or, or whoever it is, John, you probably know uh, who, who are mainly the people who attend the, the annual meeting. Uh, yeah, it's a mix. I mean, every state is represented. So um, each region of the country. Uh, and, and so, yeah, each uh, the adult uh, U S adult soccer, U S club soccer, U S youth soccer, and then each of the state associations uh, along with the professional council and the, um, the players council. So, and the board of directors obviously are there. I mean, it is, you, you have to, you have to understand what they're, who they are first. I mean, part part of the boring part of it and part of the disconnect is because um, your random soccer mom or soccer dad coaching at AYSO doesn't, doesn't know that what the U S soccer federation is or does. Um, and, and so 
even the fact that there was some uncertainty as recently as three months ago when we lost to Trinidad about how this was going to go down, we all sort of knew Sunil was up for election and, you know, we lost and, and the expectation around the world is that some people resign and where does that leave us? There's still a large swath of people that don't necessarily know the Federation ins and outs and, and what their role is. So yes, the, the group is, yeah, they, they are your representatives. It's not like, it's not unlike any other, national governing body or national election. You have representatives uh, in your state, in your region, who are there at that annual general meeting to represent you. So so what kills me is that you saw all these tours and these campaign trails that all these um, nominees went on. And you had all these states coming out, or the ones that actually came out and said, like, this is who we're endorsing. This is who we're endorsing. Here, This is who we're endorsing. And if you think of the ones that came out and spoke up about who they were endorsing, looking at the percentage of the numbers and the votes, I didn't see the connect there. And maybe, maybe people were just talking, just kind of giving lip of like, yeah, we're going to say that we're going to take this person, but here's where we're going. Um, everything I think I want to say, I want to say it was lawless or somebody mentioned that, you know, in the last couple of weeks, Carlos had been coming out saying like, he can be the change that we're looking for. Um, and you know, he might be, he might be, I, I, I just don't know at this point, but for me, all these people who have been come out saying they voted, they were there for Martino or they were there for Ronaldo or, you know, as long as it wasn't Carter and Carlos, like this is what we're there for. I just didn't see that in the numbers um, because I, well, I think Nick, you tweeted about the, after the first round, um, Kathy and uh, Carlos had 75% of the vote combined or something like that. Um, and that doesn't tell me about a change. So it makes you wonder about, you know, and two with the, um, there was a letter put out uh, earlier this week. I think John, you may have sent it to me or I know I saw it on Twitter of people who were a part of a previous athlete athletes council or something to do with it. Uh, a bunch of MLS and ASL players who wrote a letter to the athletic council about, we know that if you don't vote for Kathy or Carlos, that you're, you could lose sponsorships and, and, and contracts and some various other things, but you got to do what's right for, for you, the player. Um, just like you hear things about that. And then you, 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 you see what the results are out of it. And like I said at the beginning, like it, it just, for me, uh, I, the one thing I took away from the most of it all was, and besides hope solo putting an ether on Carter and Carlos was Kyle Martino made the comment, um, earlier in the session, uh, there was some, there was a, the, the actual like main meeting, uh, going through business and stuff like that. And, and Sunil made the comment about, we hear you, we hear you. And Martino was like, that's the problem. They hear you. They're just not listening. And it was like, that's correct. Because how many, uh, I want to say it was the West Virginia guy I know stood up a couple of times during the assembly and mentioned stuff and was like, well, this has not been pre- presented to us. Um, oh, well, okay. We're hearing you. We're hearing you. So I, I do think that there, there is a disconnect. And, and I, and I think until, you know, the, the one word Carlos used was unity. And if that's what he can, if that's what he does, awesome. Cause that's what we need right now. But I just feel like there's a big disconnect be- between that upper echelon group who ha- holds the power and then the clubs, the stadium associations and, and the, the, the coaches and, and coaches on all levels and the players, because what they, yes, they make decisions that affect them, but the true effects on that is from all of us that are below the um the ladder so to say the bottom of the totem pole so i just if for me it's hard to sit here and be a part of an be a part of an election that i have no say so in i can voice my opinion to others 
Um, but uh, you know, ultimately it's their choice. Uh, so I just, for me, man, it, it's, I, I, to say I'm heartbroken is, is one thing, but you know, I, I am, I have turned a corner a little bit saying, okay, like I'm, I'm giving Carlos a chance, but it's, it's one of the things where I, you, you gotta, you gotta, I've got to see it to believe it. Yeah. I would say the thing that is, if you're going to take something away from this in a positive light, I think like John pointed out earlier, people are more aware now. I don't think oh, that, yeah, for sure. I don't think that people, I, I think that if Carlos does some of the same things that Sunil does, I think there's going to be a lot more. I, I think that Sunil got away with a lot of things just because there weren't enough people aware of what was going on. Oh yeah. And I think it's going to, I think it's going to, sh- shed a light on what is going on and especially more with the soccer community. And I think that, and also from what I've read, I don't know. And John, maybe you can speak to this a little bit. It seems like they're going a different route in terms of the way they're going to manage that position where he's just kind of going to be for lack of a better term, like the recruiting coordinator. And he's going to have people working under him, like one for the men's two general managers. Yeah, managers. Yeah, they're a men's general manager and a women's general manager. It seems like he's not going to be as he's going to be more of a facilitator than a person that's actually doing stuff. But John, you might be able to speak better that than I would. Well, I, I, one thing like I know I, I just saw this actually just a while ago was that you know they're going to allow him to appoint. Um, he's get he gets to appoint those two positions, and that's and I was just actually just speaking to George AJ uh, just uh, like an hour ago about that. And he made the comment, he said, that's all fine and dandy that you're having those positions, but it's who you put in those positions. Are you going to go against the grain and against the system and bring in, maybe you put an Eric Winalda as a general manager, maybe you put Kyle Martino as a general manager, maybe you put like an Abby Wambach or somebody in on the women's side. But if you bring in, you know, if you put Kathy Carter on the women's side, or you put some, you know, Sunil yes, man on the men's side, what, what good is, what good in reality are those positions? Yeah, I mean, it, it's for me. It's going to go one of two ways. Um, I'll start. I'll start with the well. You want the good news first or the bad news first? I mean, I'll take either or because it all is the same in the end. <laughs> here's the bad news from my perspective. The bad news is, as Hope Solo pointed out, um, Carlos has been involved in the process that got us to this point. Um, if you want to talk about the highest levels, missing the Olympics and missing the World Cup and those sorts of things, he has had a front row seat to that. And so he's had some chances to make changes and, and maybe has not spoken up or, you know, again, it's hard to say the exact ins and outs of it. Like you said, Nick, you don't know. There weren't enough eyes on the process and enough eyes on those things. So um, in that sense, he's an establishment candidate and he has been had a front row seat to what got us to this point. Those of us who are on Twitter on a regular basis, and, and I am, I, I've said this before, I, I get my news there. I like the instant nature of it, and, and yet it can be a very toxic place. The photo of Carlos standing next to Chuck Blazer, he's going to have to overcome that. Um, when, when you talk about um, illegal activity and um, lining your own pockets and pleading guilty in a court of law, I mean, that car, the picture of Carlos standing next to Chuck Blazer, he's got to overcome that. And I hope at some point he comes out and explains his relationship because as a Goldman Sachs executive with a, standing next to a guy who's been 
you know, guilty of those sorts of things, you, you, that's the bad news. He sat, he was close enough to see it up front, and he's in that picture next to a guy who, um, you know, clearly did help move the game along in this country and yet at the same time did it in a way that none of us are really proud of. But here's the good news. The good news is before Sunil announced that he was not going to run, Carlos threw his hat in the ring. Um, there were some articles that came out when Carlos, so this was what I was doing tonight in sort of preparation for this was there are a few articles that came out that said um, to a certain extent, many people believed that Carlos was the heir apparent to Sunil no matter what. And so Carlos at some point sat down before Sunil had made his decision and said, you know what, fellas, whoever else was at the meal or whatever leadership was there, he, he basically said, I'm going to declare for this presidency, whether Sunil runs or not. And that seemed to burn Sunil either publicly or privately from what I've read that, you know, this was sort of his right hand man. And, and now potentially if Sunil decided to run, it was going to be, they were going to be facing each other. So in that sense, maybe that was the first domino to sort of proclaim himself as a guy that would be open to change and would be trying to do something different. The other piece of good news, if you want to call it that, from what I read today, uh, I found it like a Miami, Carlos Cordero was from Miami. His family moved there when he was younger. Um, Donna Shalala, who's been on the board at the United States Soccer Federation, um, they reached out to her. I think it was the Miami Herald reached out to her and said, you know, what do you think about this? Uh, Carlos, you've known him, you've worked on the board with him. And, and she flat out said that the leadership styles of Sunil and Carlos are are not the same, that they are very different leaders. And so to that extent, she believed that he would be a very different type of leader. He did say he's going to do a GM for each spot. You're absolutely right, Sean. If, if it's a, a yes man, that doesn't help. Um, I mean, I've got, it's up to you guys. I've got some other notes here about what he said in his five minutes. He actually went last today. Each of the five candidates had five minutes before the voting started to speak. Uh, Cordero went last and I took some notes on what he had to say. And then I I wrote down some things that he said also after he was elected. But um, those are the two sort of good news, bad news things about whether or not he can separate himself and truly change things. Or if he's, so going back to what I said originally, it's going to go one of two ways. He's either going to fall back into the way things have been done historically for these four years. I mean, his term is only four years. Can't forget that. Or he's going to take his experience um, on, at the board level on the CONCACAF board. He is on the bid committee for 2026, and he's really going to steer this in a direction that he claims is different than what he has seen so far. Yeah, I think one of the things that, I hope happens from this. And it is from what I've seen on Twitter, there's, there's not a lot of centrists in terms of this election. People are very pissed off or they're very like, let's get behind this guy. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of in between. And I do hope that with him going forward, that people can recognize when he's doing well and applaud it and criticize when he's doing poorly and not fall into the way that us politics are right now, where it's like, no matter what he's like, I feel like there, there's going to be some people that even if he does some very, very good things, they're still going to be pissed off because he's an establishment guy. I think that this, like um, he even said in his speech, it can be a unifying moment for us. It, but again, it's one of those things where celebrate his successes, criticize when he's not doing things that are making U.S. soccer better. But I do hope that if like, is again, all I've seen on Twitter today, like from my follow or people that I follow is just that it's it's the end of U.S. soccer as we know it and I don't think that's the case I think that he's gonna 
I don't think he's going to be the same as Sunil. Um, but I think that we need to find a happy medium of being being supportive when it's working, being critical when it's not working, and have an open mind going into this process. The, the big thing I saw, um, Sebastian Salazar had an awesome tweet that I retweeted. Um, somebody asked him, you know, who represents the soccer community in the U.S. better, the USSF voters or Twitter voices? And he said, you know, honest answer, I really don't know. I know that the USSF president voters have totally different interests, priorities, and agendas than the fans that I interact with in, in person or on social media. USSF voters are working in the game every day on a grassroots level. Their voice should matter. And I totally agree that, you know, being as knee deep in the war that as they are, yes, they have a, they do have a voice, but it does make you worry about what uh, us, the common man, our concerns about things and what our ideas and what our um, goals for a fed- for the federation are compared to what those within the federation themselves actually want, and it makes me wonder. Like, well, what is that? What what are their interests? What is their priorities? And obviously, the World Cup bid is one. Um, and and the thing that scares me the most because anytime that like, like Nick said on Twitter, like Twitter is just absolutely crazy today about this. And the one thing that I've seen constantly is like, this seems just like for another big push for MLS, and. You know, MLS is a, a huge topic, especially now with the whole election and the World Cup and all that. But is there do I, and John? You probably know more about it than I do, but I just feel like there's such a push to make MLS more than what it is. And with the La Liga and with Prem and with the Bundesliga, it's going to be really hard to get it to where these. It seems like these upper echelons want it to be without changing some of the rules about ownerships and player contracts and things along those lines. Yeah. I mean, this goes back to the disconnect. Uh, Two things popped out of my mind while you were talking about that. Uh, Number one, it's not Nick used the analogy a little bit ago about, you know, our national politics, you know, outside of soccer, our actual political landscape right now. And the universal response to that is always, well, then get involved. Go to your state association, send an email to your state reps, find out who they are and what their interests are. And if you feel strongly enough about something, then you need to reach out to them and you need to say, hey, we are in this state without an MLS team, uh, with uh, maybe a PDL team or, you know, every state is different in that sense as well. And so that that was my gut reaction is, you know, for the, your quote unquote common man, well, then you have to consider not being the common man anymore. You have to do what those six other candidates did. You got to throw your hat in the ring and say, all right, well, this is what I think. And this is the platform I'm going to run on. And, and here's the consideration you should give me, or, or at least ask the people in those current positions, how they feel about it and what they think. Um, As far as the MLS side goes, I, I think we talked about this last time. I, I refuse to believe that 20, 22, 24, 32 teams can serve this country and this soccer playing country and the players in this country well. If we put too much time, attention, and resources into that organization, you are inevitably going to leave people out. Uh, and and that, like that's, that's what they're where doing. They're putting more money into that? Say again? Do you feel like that's kind of like what, what we're going through, is that they're, they're pumping so much money into MLS? Yeah, but I think things like um, 
Oh, let me phrase it: MLS and the and the Development Academy too, because I mean that's correct. That's the correct. big puppy. And I think know? that's why. Going back to those results before, I think that's why Eric Ronaldo got third place behind those two candidates because the pro council and the athlete council understood what Kathy Carter and what Carlos Cordero could do for them. And the people that voted for Eric Ronaldo understood the disconnect between those two parts of the game. And so if you're willing to, if you're willing to concede that those 20, 22, 24, pick a spot where MLS stops growing. If you're willing to say that those traditional cities um, that can meet all those requirements that have been in, you know, set in place with stadiums and ownership uh, levels and bank roles and all those sorts of things. If you're just going to concede that that's what it takes to be a top level franchise in this country, that's fine. You can, you can say that and we can try and operate under that model of American franchise sports, but then you can't at the same time shrug off the rest of the soccer playing country, um, whether it's development academy that's not tied to an MLS team, whether it's um, your local AYSO folks introducing the game, whether it's your middle tier club. I'm just going to say middle tier. I, I, I don't know how you – I think that's where the groundswell was leading up to this election. You, you can't put all your eggs in the MLS basket uh, financially. You can't do it um, – well, you can, but then you then the outcome you, – you risk the outcome being where we're at today on the men's side, um, that we're not – we, we didn't make the Olympics and, and all those sorts of things. So if you're not willing to open the doors and, and open – open the game and, and give other people more people, I suppose, a chance to compete at the highest level, then, then you're going to be stuck with what you get. So I th- you guys had mentioned, could, could kind of touched on this earlier about, you know, there, some of these other candidates hopped on have like brought awareness to different things that are going on. And I can remember when we did our show after the, the world cup, uh, knockout um you know john you had sent the sent all of us the the article about sum and what it really was and who was in charge of it and who just happened to be you know the top dogs in it um it's one of those things where like had that stuff been out you know however many years ago would sunil still be in power uh how would things be shaping for our our playing situation for our development situation um differently by knowing that stuff now so i definitely think that that helps us going forward but i, I just i I don't know. I feel that. And, and, and the only reason why I feel it this way is because I, I don't know if you guys have checked Twitter because we're currently doing this at, at 8.36 PM for those who are going to listen on the podcast version. And Eric Winalda's profile has completely changed, completely changed. His avatar is no longer a picture of him. It's a cup of coffee by fireplace. His um, banner is that of, I think it's an ocean. And all these people are writing to him saying, we're going to keep up the fight. We're going to make this work. We're going to get change. We're going to get change. And the only response that he's sending to people is just good luck. Good luck. Nice try. Good luck. Good luck. And that, that makes me feel like, cause I mean, obviously like he's one of those people who's on the inside and he knows what's going on. That doesn't make me feel good. Yes. I, I was a Winalda, uh, you know, campaign or whatever you want to call it, but that doesn't make me feel good. Like, cause he seemed somebody who was open to help, issue this change whether he got the position or not but now just kind of seeing how he's reacting to people kind of makes me feel like okay maybe we're not maybe it's not going to happen the way that that we're all hoping and dreaming of i would say 
I would take some him of Zuka because he just lost. But at the yeah, same time, like, like I think I think all his comments right now to be need to be taken with a grain of salt because he's whatever eight hours removed from this election right now. I think that what happens within the next month or so is a, will be a little bit more telling to what his support will be like because again, I mean, you even watch him as a player, and Eric, like Eric was, like I I love I loved him as a player. He's a very he's passionate, dramatic. fiery, like. He's like I think he's one of those guys, and I think that's what was so appealing to him as a candidate was he wears his heart on his sleeve. He's very he's very transparent, and I think that I I I wouldn't take too much. I, again, I could be one hundred percent wrong with this, but I I'm personally not going to take too much into what he's saying on Twitter eight hours after losing an election that he was really hoping to win and help change with U.S. soccer. And, and you know, John, you brought a. And the reason why I tie it into, you know, John, you brought up, you know, what can we do now? Those of us who are in the smaller clubs and middle tier clubs, you know, get involved with associations, get involved in these positions of power. There's almost a feeling because of the, the, the phrase that I saw, I don't know how you guys watch the uh, meeting, whether it was on their website or I, I watched on YouTube live just so I could see the comments as people were writing, but a phrase that I saw consistently throughout every other post was good boys network or good old boys network. However you phrase it, where you're from that, you know, for me, I guess it's hard because I'm, I'm a person of, I, when I see situations like this, it makes me think like, man, like I'd like to, I'd like to run or I'd like to do whatever I can, like get involved and help make the change happen. But you see stuff like today where you have this feeling for the last couple of months that we're going to get somebody new in, we're going to get some fresh new blood, fresh ideas. And then when it comes down to it and you have this hope, why even have the hope because things aren't going to change. Um, so I, I, I totally agree that, you know, we have to, we, as the, the common man have to do more. Uh, but it's just, it seems the more things try to change, the more they're just going to stay the same. I don't know. I'm, I'm always, I, I, I'm an optimist with everything, but my own soccer team. Um, I think that we, uh, I, I, again, I, I don't think I, the best thing to come out of this is I think people are hyper aware of the situation. Now I don't think he's going to be able to get away with doing that same type of stuff with that Sunil got away with. I really do believe that this really put a spotlight on us soccer for better or for worse in terms of now he, he is going to have a ton of pressure on him to perform well. And I think that more people are going to get involved. And I, I think, I do think that, Despite the results today, this whole process has been a very good thing for U.S. soccer because now people are forced to think and try to figure out why we're not doing things as well as we should be. Do you think the voting process should be changed? 100%. Because of the whole, of the whole weighted votes and block votes and all that? I, like, I wouldn't even say I, I need it necessarily to be changed. I think I'd like it to be changed. But the thing that I didn't like was I still don't know why Cordero was picked. It, it, and then again, that's going back to the thing I said in the beginning where I just think there's this huge disconnect in the message. I don't like, I mean, and John was able to write down a few notes that he had mentioned from the speech before and after. But for me, I think that the outrage coming from people that I've seen is entirely due to the fact that they just don't know what's going on. Like, and well, I, 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 I was message. Well, talking to people today who went to convention and like got to be around the, um, the little chats that all the candidates had. And I had numerous people, numerous people tell me 
that they sat in on all of them where they were around and, and got the notes from, you know, people who were in on the, the rooms that said that he was one of the worst speakers or was had one of the worst, um, whatever you want to call it, um, talks of all the candidates. And uh, somebody on Fox Sports, I, I wish I could remember the player's name, was talking about like, he's not a public speaker. Like that's something he's got to get better at. Uh, because you, you talked about, you didn't know what his, his platform, what his thing was. And some of that's because like, he didn't really talk, um, uh, you know, other than I think he did some tweets, but, and then at the convention, but for me, it's just like you said, like, I want to know, I want to know, excuse me, what changed from, uh, however many months ago when this all started to just in the last three weeks that everybody was huge. Martino, Martino, Winalda, Winalda, Martino, Winalda, Martino, Winalda. We got to change. We got to get players in there or we got to get former players in there. We got to get something different to where, you know, two weeks ago and, and John, you probably know, cause you're more in depth on this around. It was like about two weeks ago where all the tweets that I started seeing or all the stories I started seeing was Carlos is going to win. Kathy's going to win. Carlos is going to win. Those are the only two that's going to win in this. What, I mean, just from what, I mean, what, you know, from what you read, like what possibly could have changed to make all this just flip, I guess. Cause I, three weeks ago, if you, if you'd asked me, I would told you, uh, when Alda would get first and then second would probably be either, uh, Carlos or Martino. How did it just change to where, I mean, those guys were not, you know, when Alda and Martino were not even getting close to, to Kathy and Carlos and then Carlos just started blown away in the, in the, in the last couple of rounds. I, I think there's two parts of it. Uh, number one is the way the votes are weighted. So you asked if the process needs to change. I think to a certain extent it does. Because um, that was the big thing people were complaining be, about was the weighted, the yeah. weighted system. Right. And, the, and the, the way it was weighted. So the NWSL as a top women's league didn't have the same weight as the uh, Major League Soccer portion of the vote. And, made the, and that portion is based on attendance. In something like that, and, and we've all seen, at least if you follow enough soccer Twitter, you've seen empty stadiums where the reported attendance is 14,700 people, and it's very clear that there was nowhere near that amount. So that that yeah. just sort of, you know, it doesn't pass the smell test. Um, so I think the weighted portion of, or the way the votes are weighted is part of that, uh, why, why you saw it swing that way. And I think... I think the other part of it is a little bit of the human part of the people who are in the room. When you know, when push comes to shove, you need somebody to lead an organization and it comes down to someone who's been the vice president of that organization or someone who played for a long time and sounds good, you still have to make that choice. And I think when push comes to shove, the volume goes down a little bit on the people who, who realize that this really is a big risk. And from a governance perspective, if you're one of those state associations in the room and you have to make a choice between a leader who knows the ins and outs of the federation for better or worse, and someone who has had no role in the federation at all, you, you get cold feet a little bit and, and, and the volume starts to go down and you start to realize, all right, maybe... I have to pick between one of these two quote unquote establishment candidates who are going to meetings in CONCACAF and who are on the committee for the bid uh, for the world cup and who are, you know, at this level, as opposed to the people who I'm used to seeing on my television on the weekends and who 
makes a lot of sense on Twitter. I, I, I was very, I, I agree with you. I was in the Winalda camp based on his ability to get, connect with the people who were not. But when you look at the way the votes are weighted and you look at the experience, you know, I'll, we'll call it experience. If you don't want to call it establishment, then call it experience at the Federation level and sitting in boardrooms with people who vote on things like the World Cup. I think there were probably some cold feet on some of those associations who showed up to Orlando not knowing who they were going to vote for. I think those some of those people probably went the way of Carlos Cordero because they knew what they were getting to a certain extent. I think I saw the Athlete Council voted that was like 20% of the vote. Yeah, that sounds right. That's right. So I know I know I did see a tweet. I don't know if it was from Grant Wall or somebody, but somebody posted pretty much whoever wins the athlete vote is who's going to win this whole thing because of how the weighted and the block system they were going to. How does, which is why that letter you mentioned earlier, there were low level, mid-level women's players who said, Hey, listen, we're athletes too. We have some representation on the athletes council. And we're asking you as the most visible athletes to consider the adult amateurs, the semi-professionals, the lower tier professionals and the women's players who don't enjoy the same luxuries that Stuart Holden does, Yeah, um, you know, going to play in a charity event in Houston, which listen, don't get me wrong. Those are great things. It's a great platform, but there are so many other just players who don't do, who do not share that same experience, who never put on a U.S. national team uniform, who never um, reached the peak of the, the sport, um, but still, understood the the importance of the election. And that's why those people wrote that letter to the athletes council saying, listen, before you do this, don't forget where you came from and don't forget who you represent. It's not just, um, you know, the, the Landon Donovan's of the world and the, and the Jordan Morris's of the world. It's also us who signed that letter. So yeah, I, I don't know how they came around to it, but yeah, that, that block is incredibly influential. And for me, I I don't understand with the NWSL, like how their vote could go the way that it goes just because of all the things that you hear. I mean, some of their top players are working two, three, four jobs just to pay the bills and put a roof over their head and have have food on their plates because, you know, there are, uh, there's some big players, you know, who we we consider top profile players who are making $10,000 a year to play professional soccer. And I don't understand how they as a league, which I guess if it always comes back to, like I, I'm not knowledgeable about the league, but I hear there's a lot of the, there's a lot of similar owners from MLS to, to NWSL that of yeah, course, four, you know, four of the eight. Okay. Well, that makes plenty of sense. So if you own MLS team and you're, of course you're going to go for Carlos or Kathy, well, your vote for your NWSL, it's going to be the same thing. I it, It's, I, the one thing I loved about Hope's speech was she just brought up all these points that I don't think people truly think about. Like I said, like she mentioned, uh, you know, NWSL players making $10,000 a year. Um, you know, we have, there are how many club coaches make significantly more than that. Um, and, you know, these are the professional athletes that we're putting out there. And I just, I can't get in my head with on the in, completely on the women's side game of, you know, the, with, with all of equality, with the, um, the trade, the playing surfaces, the, the pay, I don't see how they, as a group being the, the women's players, if, if there's a, a women's player association or just anybody who's involved with that, how they can be happy 
with the way that their peers voted. Yeah, I, I don't have a good answer for you, Sean. I, I I'm not sure. I'm not sure how they, how they came to that conclusion either. I mean, Stuart Holden's explanation um, in that couple minutes of that video was good, but not great. I mean, he felt like they did their due. Somebody wrote that for him. Somebody wrote that for him. It was so like he was ready to answer as soon as the questions popped out. Yeah. I mean, he's a TV guy. I mean, he knows, uh, he knows what he needs to say. And yeah, I don't, I don't know how you, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't have a good answer for you on how those players can, can do that. Here's, Two more things stick out to me, and, and we can I'll do this all night if you guys want to, but two more things that stick out to me. Um, when Alda's last speech up there before the voting started, um, I'm I was glad off, you bring this up because I have something to, to go along with that. He, he he was off the cuff. He didn't have any notes. He spoke from the heart. And the one thing that stuck out to me, even as the sort of rallying cry on Twitter for the burning it all down and starting it all over, as long as as much as he was that guy. He said, we don't need a revolution. We need an evolution that we don't need to revolt. We don't need to turn it on its head. We just need to evolve and get to a point beyond where we are now. And I think that sort of that stuck with me because I didn't necessarily think that a lot of the people who loved him understood that, um, that that was something that he recognized. I think by the time he had gone through the election process as a candidate, he realized Maybe we're a little bit closer to the things that we're talking about than you realize from afar once he got into it. And so we didn't need to necessarily burn it all down, but we needed to make some significant changes to the way we did things. So an evolution instead of a revolution. The other thing I think Carlos Cordero was probably saying behind closed doors uh, was something that I read. I don't know if it was a Sports Illustrated article after he was nominated or that same um, biographical one in Miami, but we have to decide – let me back up and then I'll get to what I think he was saying behind closed doors. We have to decide as a federation and as a soccer community, how much we want to do things like the rest of the world. And if we want to do things like the rest of the world, then we need to get in line um, with a whole bunch of things that seem to be on Eric Winalda's, uh, you know, checklist for lack of a better term. And if we're going to do that, then we do that and we don't look back. Um, if we're not, if we're going to decide that we're going to do this our own way, if the Federation, whether it's the board or the constituents or whoever it is, decides that, you know what, we're not going to do soccer like the rest of the world, then that's the path you go down and you sleep in that bed after you've made it. And so that's kind of a line in the sand for me. The reason I say that is because what I think Carlos Cordero was telling people probably behind closed doors and briefly in one of those articles was that in order to truly be successful year in and year out at multiple levels in both genders um, on a regular basis, it takes more than the $150 million surplus that we had. And so solving something like pay to play and catching up with the Germany's and Spain's and, you know, pick a country, it costs like three times as much money as we have right now. So I think he looked some of those constituents in the eye and said, listen, I'm your guy that's going to help take the Federation from $150 million surplus to the next level of surplus. I'm going to be your partner along the way, but I've got the connections to sort of 
take us from where we are now to where we need to be to do some of the things that we're all talking about. Now, I did read that he was the guy that in the last couple of weeks was the one coming saying, look, like I'm with you guys on this. I'm with the players on this. I'm with the, the state associations on this. I'm the guy that can do the change for you. But they also felt that he was the guy who would say that, but says that just to win. I just, I can't find yeah. right from the piece that you read. I mean, is that something that you could see on, on yeah. that side? Yeah. I mean, that's what I said earlier. It's, it's going to go one of two ways. He's either going to do the things he talked about in his speeches or he's going to backpedal um, like plenty of politicians before him have done, or, you know, elect, let's say elected officials. He's not a politician, but as plenty of elected officials have done, he will backpedal and go back to being, uh, you know, someone who's used to operating in the Goldman Sachs part of the world and not get his hands dirty in the grassroots stuff. Um, he started his pre-vote speech by saying, we need to come together to make soccer in America the very best it can be. I mean, that's how he started. Um, and then at the end of that, he said, "I, my promise to you is that I will be your partner, that I will listen, and that I will be inclusive. I mean, those are sort of broad statements, but they're the right words. Um, I think we're going to find out real quick, like we talked about earlier, the the hyper, I forget Nick's word he used earlier, but the hyper attention that's been focused on this is not going to allow him any wiggle room uh, to to do the things he's talking about. So, but, but we say that though, but I mean, if you think about the power structure, I mean, the, the, I mean, essentially the same people are going to be in charge, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, hopefully so, I mean, they feels like yes, we can hold it, we can hold them accountable, but that I mean, we're going to get like we got today. Like, yeah, we hear you, we hear you. This is how we're doing it. I mean, he talked about being a, a you know, like I said about Donna Shalala talked about him. He's not going to be the um, iron fist or the um, uh, you know rule from on high type of person who's who's directing the bus. I mean, that's what he's claimed he's going to do. So it is important that. Yeah, uh, we find out and communicate with the people immediately around him. Um, I don't, I don't know if I mentioned this yet, but at the end of the convention in Philadelphia, Sunil spoke at the U.S. Youth Soccer Hall of Fame, I believe, and he sort of gave his scathing review of social media backlash and people claiming lack of transparency and the truck that was parked outside the convention center. Um, you know, flashing names and faces and calling for transparency. And that truck was pretty cool though. <laughs> who, who, whether you like the message or not, the graphics, the graphic side of me, I was like, that's pretty cool. Like somebody put some big effort into that. Absolutely. And, and, and so there is that underbelly. And if he, and if he ignores it, it's going to be to his own demise. It just maybe, maybe not to his own demise, to your point, maybe it's not enough to, um, tip things over and, and sort of rebuild. But the thing that stuck out to me, so I, so I, it took me a couple of days. I didn't want to watch it right away. Everyone was really angry about it. And, and Sunil was upset and it just, it was very unbecoming of someone, but you could tell it was his last chance in front of a microphone before the election, when he had to go back to being presidential in the room, that he was going to have a chance to sort of say his piece without any real repercussions. And it, he did that. He, he said his point. The, the one thing that stuck out to me, he, he said, everything we do is transparent. We have links on websites. We talk about we're a nonprofit. We report our income. We do all these things. But he admitted to having a communication problem. 
And that to me is where the Federation can do better, whether it's Carlos Cordero himself, the people in Chicago at soccer house, any of the board members, any of the players council members who feel motivated to be more vocal. The Federation has a public relations problem that they can solve regardless of who's president. If they host, uh, not host, if they offer a press conference where reporters can ask questions and get answers or ask questions and get non-answers because by getting a non-answer, you start to rally those same troops again. Well, he didn't, they didn't answer that. They didn't, they weren't clear on that. And then you can continue to answer more questions. The communication problem that the Federation has can and should be tackled. And I, I think that's where we started this conversation, you know, at the very beginning tonight was the disconnect can be solved with some of the communication problems that Sunil himself admitted that the Federation has. Take a step back, um, communicate your policies better. Don't be sending down edicts from on high on how to operate at the national level to people who didn't have a voice in the process. Uh, And just let the general public know, whether it's the dad coaching AYSO, someone else like us that coach at the high school or college level or the mid-level club, a non-DA club, there's enough people, going back to what we said earlier about the generational thing, there's enough people interested in this sport, who love this sport, who want to see us be more successful, and who, regardless of what you think about MLS, want to see our professional leagues be successful. There's enough of us out there that it's the Federation doesn't have to operate in the shadows anymore. They should feel comfortable bringing it to the forefront and working and communicating with everyone that loves it to make it better. Yeah. I, you were talking about the, the surplus and things along those lines. And I just, I, it made me think of this tweet that I just, uh, that I saw earlier today um, from uh, Jeremy St. Louis, who said when a nonprofit organization has over a hundred million sitting in the bank, do you truly believe that it's not profit? And somebody responded to him and said, well, do you truly believe Sunil did the job for free? You probably know a little bit more than about that than I do. Yeah, I mean, he did. It's an unpaid position. But, I mean, this is, you know, it's easy from the outside to say that it's it's not fair or it's wrong. But you heard multiple people, even candidates who were running against him, say he was the one that put in the legwork. He did the work to put himself in that position. Yeah. He was a bootstrap type of, he took it and turned it into what he wanted to turn it into with any of his flaws, with any of his mistakes along the way, with any of those things. When you put in that kind of work, you get things like uh, paid positions at FIFA and you get things like uh, speaking engagements and you get, yeah, I, I mean, there's plenty of nonprofits out there that, that pay their executives well. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow because it is an unpaid position, but I mean, he did it and he did it his way and, and you can be upset with them to a certain extent, but yeah, it's going to change that. That's probably the first question that Carlos Cordero has to answer whether he wants to or not is whether that position should be a paid position and, and how that changes the, the dynamic of the position. Yeah. Cause you almost feel like there's, there's that incentive to like, you have to perform because you're, you are getting money out of it. Absolutely. Um, he's let's um kind of as as we spitfire here at the end. I, there are some questions and statements that 
uh, our awesome listeners and, and page followers have, have sent to us. Maybe some, co- they've made some comments. They've got some questions. And like we said, you know, we're, we're not completely in on it, but you know, John is somebody that I trust uh, just cause I know that he's constantly reading about it. It's something that affects him with his club. Um, and, and he's, he's the one that I've kind of reached out to, uh, during this whole process of, of, of wondering things because he does the research on the candidates. He's done the research on the process. Um, one that, uh, we, we, it, it's kind of a, a four-parter, so I'll just kind of go through it all. But uh, Tristan Tillett, uh, at T Tillett on, on, uh, on Twitter, um, asks, you know, I'm just curious if Carlos will be about the uh, players at all levels. You know, all the top minds in the world say it's a player's game. I haven't seen the establishment stand up for players in the past. Is that something that you think you will change? If not, then if you're not about the players, then what are you about? Um. The first thing that comes to mind for me, and, and you, you passed over it briefly, was the idea of a players association, um, whether it's the MLS Players Union or the NWSL negotiating with the Federation. Um, the players in this country have an, also have a unique opportunity at this point, in my opinion, Um to sort of stand up for themselves. I mean, I, I gave credit on Twitter today for whoever the delegates were. In, or, in order to be one of the final eight candidates, you had to submit some paperwork and have enough uh, supporters within the voting people to get in. And somebody or, or a few people allowed or thought Hope Solo had enough um, to say, to, to give her a seat at the table. And what she did with it was important to a lot of people. Yeah. And so there's there's that there's that level of understanding that if you want, if you want to be heard, you have to sort of get your elbow, you know, elbow some people along the way and get yourself in there and just pull up a chair and sit at the table and say, Hey, we want a seat at the table as well as the MLS players union. It's not just the NWSL people making $10,000. Now the league MLS has done better at elevating the bottom end salaries but there's still plenty of people on the end of benches in, in Major League Soccer that are having the same debate. Do I walk away from the sport I love or do I continue to fight and scrap and know that the most I'm going to make here is this amount of money or that that may be? Um, the second part of the question is if they're not about the players, what are they about? I mean, they're going to be about injecting as much money into it as possible. That That's for right or, for better or for worse, right or wrong, that is what makes the world go round. We talk about pay to play. We talk about the surplus. We talk about um, salaries and and all those sorts of things and uh, what it costs to be in an elite club and what it costs to travel. Where that money goes and and how it's distributed is is important to a lot of people. So if 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 they're not outright earning it, they're trying to they're trying to make it. As, as profitable as a nonprofit can be, I suppose, to, to get to more people. I, it should be player-centered. I don't know if that's coming across from me. I certainly believe that. It should be a player-centered answer, a player-centered leadership, uh, a player-centered organization. And if it's not, then, yeah, you, you got to take a hard look at who's doing it and, and where the money is going. Follow the money at that point. 
uh, Evan Sunderland at uh, or Sutherland at Sutherland Three. Evan, he's the executive director of coaching at Sky Soccer in uh, I want to say it's in Bowling Green. Yeah, Bowling Green, Kentucky. Uh, he had a comment. Um, he just added that uh, you know I had the great privilege of sitting down with Carlos and discuss the issues and work he wants to put in over lunch last week as well at the convention. Uh, seems like he uh, Evan is is really big into what Carlos is wanting to do. Uh, we we talked about the athletes council because I think I I believe that's what's going to be the bigger story out of all this just because of the you know with hope pretty much throwing them underneath the bus which I mean she pretty much threw every single person in soccer except for you I and, and Nick under the bus uh, in her <laughs> campaign um, but uh, I think I feel like that's what a lot of people are talking about and uh, Don Crow had a comment about I love how only twelve of twenty were there to vote free pass for the thirteenth for giving birth but sad not to vote uh, huge props for Heather Heather for flying in from England just to vote and then go fly back out and play again the next day uh, and I know Lori Lindsay flew in for the discussion and part of the vote um, and then flew back out the Stuart Holt said this morning uh, for a family issue could you see that being like I said, I, I feel like that's going to be the biggest story out of all this is that athlete, athlete, athletes council about all this. Yeah. Um, they're the ones that are going to have, you know, they have to answer to their peers. Um, yeah. And that's going to be tough. I, I think that's going to be real tough. Yeah, they're going to have to answer to it, and they should. Um, you can't take that responsibility, and this is kind of the, the progress that we've seen, I think, maybe in, in years past in uncontested elections. I mean, this is probably the first time that they've had to do that in how long? I mean, some of those people, I don't know how long their, their terms are. I think it's seven or eight years that you're on the Players' Council or maybe even ten, uh, and then some move on to be lifetime members and others may not. Um, I don't remember if that's their choice or how it, exactly how it works, but – this is the first time that they've had to really put any thought into it. And so my gut reaction to what Stuart Holden said was, yes, that's great that you vote in a block because you give the people that are not there a chance to have their voice heard, but you're also taking the voice away from the people who don't agree with the majority of the people in the room um, that, yeah. that want to vote in a block and, and feel like that they can put their weight behind one person. But it goes back to the idea that, they can throw their weight around, um, you know, that, that those 12, 15, 20 people uh, have as much influence as they do. Um, but, yeah, they should be player-centered, and they should be – and they should have to answer to their peers. Um, I would not be surprised um, – not, not that they would – I would not be surprised if they have a better appreciation for what that role is now. It's too late. Yeah. I mean, their votes are in. It's not going to change. But um, for future athlete council members, man, you better take that seriously. And, I, and that's not to say that the current ones don't. I think there's a wide range. I think Paul Caligari was on it, I think he said, um, and, and felt passionate enough about it to stay on as long as he did and, and serve on the, on the board as the, in different capacities. And so you hope that people like that um, – recognize the magnitude of what they're doing and, and don't just treat it as a, as a, something to put on a resume. Uh, Bill Simmons, who I, if anybody knows that I think uh, this book was called like the sports guy or something like that it was on ESPN for a while. And, and now kind of has his own thing um, has always been a kind of a big soccer guy uh, without people really knowing. And he wrote a pretty lengthy 
message today, and I, I don't know if you got to catch it, um, but just kind of some some points that he made real quick was, congrats to U.S. soccer for electing the right-hand man of the guy who just effed up uh, American soccer these last 10 years. you got to be kidding me. A big part of Cordero's campaign, fixing youth soccer by pouring more money into coaches and scholarships. I'm passionate about this. It's the big reason why we created my daughter's club team in L.A., 30, 33% scholarship kids. I really hope that he backs up this promise and he puts in a link to, I'm going to guess, the Miami Herald uh, article is the same one that, that you read he says my fear is that it's the kind of promise you make to win the election then you don't actually do it if we want to fix u.s soccer it starts with the with youth soccer finding talented kids and giving them the best club academy coaching whether they had the money or not sunil never got this and now we just elected sunil's number two guy who is claiming no i totally get this well why didn't you say anything the last 10 years anyways we'll see if he backs up his promises i am dubious and i feel like that's kind of the sentiment like you mentioned earlier and i said the same thing of all right it's in place now all we can sit back doing is do our part and watch. Um, I feel like that's kind of the kind of what everybody's saying nowadays or saying today. Yeah. I mean, he, they, he has to be held accountable. Simmons is right. I mean, he has to be able to, like I said before, he's got to distance himself from the Chuck Blazer photo and, and he's got to, he's got to distance himself from his role in getting us to this point. And the I'm pretty sure thing- I just saw when you were mentioning the whole thing about Chuck Blazer, cause I, I remember that I'd saw that photo I swear I just saw somebody post that like Cordero was like Blazer's personal investor or bank or whatever his position was. So like they're like really, really tight, apparently. Yeah. I mean that he's gotta overcome that. The only saving grace for me is that he decided he was going to run before Sunil decided to drop out. That somewhere something inside of him said, I wanna do this. Um, now there's, there's no way of knowing who had his ear. Um, maybe, maybe other influential people in the game want to keep some of the status quo in place and said, listen, do this now before Sunil makes a decision. So you can claim that, you know, that, that this was your plan all along, but yeah, I mean, he's got work to do. And, and I hope we didn't really touch on this. Um, I hope that the soccer media in this country, and I, I guess you can, you guys have done a great job as long as you guys have been doing this. But oh, well, people, thank you, thank you. People with, <laughs> very welcome. The people with more access to people like Carlos Cordero have to continue to ask the hard questions. I have loved every minute of uh, Max Bretos and and Hercules Gomez's podcast. Yes, I just recently got into theirs, and I, See, I the first one I listened to was the Jonathan Gonzalez one. Yeah, Sebastian Salazar has been fantastic. Um, those people, Taylor Twelman, those guys cannot go back to what they were doing. If if they were ups, as upset as they claim they were, they have to be willing to continue to ask hard questions. And so from that perspective, if the national soccer media in this country who is not tied to MLS, who is not tied to any leagues, was not tied to anybody who's and there's not a lot of them that, that's the other thing there's not a lot of people who make a living off of being a journalist in the soccer world in this country and so with because if you do you have the fear of your access being cut off if by asking tough questions and holding carlos cordero to some of the things he said in his speech both pre and post election if you if you're worried about losing access you're worried about asking the questions in the first place and so those people have a responsibility to continue the conversation and not shrug off 
the angry Twitter mob who has been pointing these things out for a long time. Um, if you're not at least willing to entertain it, and I'm not talking crazy conspiracy theories or pro-rel zealots or anything like that. I'm just talking about people who want accountability. Somebody has to step up and, and hold the Federation's feet to the fire so we're not back here four years from now doing this all over again. Yeah, I, that's my biggest fear is, I'm going to say one of the candidates spoke about it. It's like, you know, we need to do the things now so that in four years we're not back here doing the exact same thing again. It's it's just, it's crazy to me to think of, I'm I'm in love that the fact that there now there is a big passion about it. Now there are enough people fired up and they're upset about it, or maybe they are happy about it. You know, I was just reading um, while you were talking about that, I, I was trying to see some of these people who have been very vocal. Taylor Twoman hasn't tweeted today. Um, one that just popped up uh, that I saw was um, uh, Soccer by Eyes was talking about he over uh, Carlos overcame being labeled status quo when realistic when realistically he is the best equipped to handle the job. Um, you know he made the decision early on to go against Galati and, and run against him, which uh, shows him that there that Carlos is somebody who does want to change, but now he's got he's got to prove it. Um, I think it is for me. Uh, and granted, you know, we talked earlier about with Winald and the tweets that he's put out, you know, since the loss and, and most of the candidates have, have said something, but those people who were clamoring for change, you know, I haven't really saw Hercules Gomez. I saw that he was tweeting during the election. Um, but you know, Taylor, like I said, Taylor Toman hasn't tweeted, uh, all day. Um, just kind of a, a lot of retweets from Hercules Gomez. He did tweet out the, uh, um, the Bill Simmons tweets, um, tweeted out uh, a tweet from God that says with great power comes great, comes no responsibility. Um, you know, it just, uh, it, it, I don't know. It's so it occurs. Like the thing with Sebastian Salazar was he tweeted out a video that said, uh, remember the last, remember the time I said that USSF voters had totally different priorities, agendas, and interests than the U S national team, women's national team fans. That I interact with proofs. So and Neil Galati just got a standing ovation and he, he shows the the video of it. Um, Stuff like that, it's just, it's just it, it all goes back to a disconnect, I think. And for me, I just it's now I want to see those who were heavy, heavy about the need to be changed. Like we said, the Taylor Twomans and the people who were screaming from the mountaintops, because the people who were one person who was screaming from the mountaintops was uh, was Stuart Holden, and and you know now he's he's on the the Carlos side. You know these people who were screaming from the mountaintops. Now, what are you going to do to help? whether it's help or maybe you're going to do whatever to, to try to facilitate change. Um, I think now is going to be the time where we watch or we should be watching. Like you said, the media, you know, we need to be holding Taylor Toman accountable, Hercules Gomez, some of those guys of making sure those in power because they'll hear them and they'll, they'll listen to them because they're not going to listen to Sean Sirely. <laughs> That's for sure. I'd, Carlos Cordero has no clue who in the hell I am, uh, but he's, he's sure not going to listen to me unless we meet up one day. Um, but, you know, I, I do think now it is our job of uh, those of us who are, you know, everybody has a Twitter handle. Everybody has a has a Facebook or whatever. So we're all media now. We've got to hold those guys accountable who who are going to be the voices that can be heard. The Taylor Twomans, the Hercules Gomez. And I think that those are the guys. What's crazy. It's, it's like those are the guys. And I think and I think and I don't follow enough of the NWSL players uh, to to know what their reactions are right now. But. I want to, that's who like my like big reaction of who I want to see his reaction is I want to see the players from there. I want to see what their thoughts is on this. And I want to see them hold the, the media guys to hold, uh, you know, this, this establishment, um, 
responsible now. And I think that the more, and maybe this is just me. I, I do. I think that a person from the, the women's side of the game, whether it be a female or somebody from the women's side of the game could be a, a great president. Yes. I think Julie Foudy would have been probably the top choice. I think had she actually, um, I know whenever Sunil said he was stepping down, everybody in the world was like, Julie Foudy, Julie Foudy, Julie Foudy. And I think she would have been great and probably would have won. Um, but I don't think Hope Solo, Hope Solo had the right ideas and she had the right representation. I just don't think she was the right person to possibly run. So now my thing is I want to see, like I said, I want to see the Taylor Twins. I want to see the Hercules Gomez's. I want to see their reactions for it. But most of all, I want to see the NWSL. I want to see all the women's players out there, anybody who's involved with women's soccer. I want to see what their reaction is this and what they're going to do to help hold uh, the, these officers accountable. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the immediate reaction after Trinidad was we need to look at everything. Absolutely everything we do, how yeah, we never operate. stone unturned. Yeah. Jump everything I mean, over and look at it. Yeah, that was the rallying cry. So now we're at that point. So that was October. Um, we all screamed at each other on Twitter for a month after we lost. Then that sort of went away. We continued the conversation to a certain extent. We found out who the candidates were um, to, to the Hope Solo thing and, and to the disconnect. She got the loudest round of applause after her speech today. That was crazy. There were people in the room who agreed with every word she said and who felt the same way she felt. Um, but again, like but they I, turned around and didn't vote for her. Yeah. When push came to shove, they needed someone. They would rather go with someone who knows the ins and outs, who they felt they could get the ear of than someone from the outside who would be less equipped to navigate the Federation. And that's how they kind of got to their conversation or got to their decision, in my opinion. But yeah, leave no stone unturned. Look at everything. So we got to the candidates. We got to the election process. We got to the roundtables. We got to the convention. And then we got to the election today. And so we're going to all wake up tomorrow, and, and we're going to start down this path. And are we actually going to leave stones unturned, or are we just going to operate in a, in a space that doesn't lend itself to that? Are we actually going to investigate ODP? Are we actually going to talk about scouting? Are we actually going to talk about um, co- the cost of coaching education? Are we actually going to talk about uh, soccer as a sport in low-income areas or, or rural areas? Are we actually going to have those conversations with Carlos Cordero and with the current regime, or are we not? Because we claimed we were, and now we have the chance to do it. Today, February 10th, February 11th, leading into a World Cup year where we're not going to be in it, because it may go away for a couple of days here, but I tell you what, we're going to get to the summer, and then we're going to see all the pomp and circumstance at the World Cup, and it's all going to be reinvigorated again. We're going to look around, and we're going to be like, yep, you know what, we're still not at the World Cup. Yeah. What have we done about it? Well, we've elected Carlos Cordero. What have we gonna, What have we done from February 10th to June 10th? Like, you know, I'm not sure when the opening ceremonies are in Russia, but what are we going to do between now and the start of the World Cup to live up to the things we said we were going to do back when we lost to Trinidad? On uh, Twitter, once the announcement had been made, I know over at Soccer Chat, uh, we had posted, you know, as soon as Carl said one, we put the percentage um, and asked, you know, what you, the listeners and followers of uh, Soccer Chat said. And Elena Bennett at L-E-F-O-S said, you know, if it's not broke, then don't fix it. Oh, wait. Um, One thing that popped in my mind just as as we're talking about this, and I feel like it had, it could have had such a crazy impact 
on the election, whether, you know, whoever you may have been voting for. Cause I think for me, right. As, as a, soon as the election was over to me, I was trying to be as bipartisan as just kind of, I'm going to take it all in. I'm listening to everybody. I'm going to take all these different ideas and try to come up with a positive in it all. But for me, I think the thing that could have been the big difference maker, and I, and I don't know if you caught this or not, but Jeff Cameron's article in the Players Tribune, if that could have come out three weeks ago, four weeks ago, a month ago, I think that could have been a huge change because his, I mean, everything that he wrote in that was amazing. I had, I, I posted on, on my own Facebook account and so many people responded. I, I want to get to a uh, uh, good, good friend of the shows. Yeah, uh, I, I just you know why you're looking for that. I did the same thing. I did read it. Uh, I loved it. I post. I did the same thing. I put it on my Facebook page. I thought it was. I thought it was. A, I thought it was an incredible look inside of his experience. Yes. So uh, Ramon Aguilon, who uh, big shout out to Ramon, uh, the Zionsville Indiana High School uh, girls coach, said, "You know, my favorite line from this was if you want to see what's wrong with U.S. soccer in a single image, just go out to one of these fancy suburbs some weekend and spot the coaches on of the fancy club strutting on the sidelines. Half of them are carrying themselves like they're Pep Guardiola. I mean, the arrogance, it's unbelievable. Um, and of course, you know, he wrote this uh, yesterday. He said, you know, but sadly, nothing's going to change. Kathy Carter will win the election. Stats will continue too much money involved. It's I that I saw so many people post that article. And everybody was like, wow, this is I mean, Jeff Cameron's words were awesome. Um do you feel like had that come out earlier get, to allow more people to to stew on it and think about it? Because Eric Winalda made the comment in his uh, his five minute speech today was, you know, don't vote with your minds because we all have been thinking way too much, uh, you know, since the the Trinidad game. We've all been we've all been thinking way too much on this. So don't think with your vote. Vote with your heart. Uh, don't vote with your 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 mind. Do you think that Jeff Cameron piece could have had some type of impact had he, he had he brought that out earlier, just because of the reaction that it's gotten? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. I think it could have enough to sway the election. Probably not, but uh, enough to open more people's eyes to it ahead of the election. Absolutely. Um, you know, as just as a male who has a fan, a fandom and a, a, a appreciation and wanting to see the men's national team succeed. Um, I think we all sort of need to come to terms with what I'm saying is we're getting back into that sort of bubble and not the massive, you know, not the, we're getting into the micro instead of the macro here, but the, we need to decide what, what we're okay with uh, in terms of a, the path to a professional player and a U.S. men's national team player, because that's the most visible to the, soccer dad who wants to help his kid at the AYSO level and turns on the world cup and turns on the gold cup and turns on the Copa America Centenario and those sorts of things, the path that those players take, and we've had, we will continue to have this debate uh, everywhere. Um, How do we get there? Where are we getting our best players from? And and what is, what does it look like? Um, Are we fawning over the Jay demerits of the world who went to England, you know, and, and some of the things that Jeff Cameron was talking about in there, you're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to be in your own apartment. You're going to be away from your family. Christian Pulisic before is you go about- on. Before you go on, can I just give a shout out to my boy, Jay Demerit real quick though? Of course. Okay. So Jay, you're my boy. Yeah, you know, we kind of go way back and then by way back, I mean like 2012. Uh, big shout out to you. If you guys haven't seen um, the documentary that he and his brother made, uh, it's called uh, Rise and Shine, the Jay Demerit story. It's absolutely incredible jay that's a free plug for you my guy 
So yes, continue on. Sorry about that. So yeah, so my point is that's a wonderful story. To like it, it, it moved you enough to sort of jump in and talk about it because there is a there's a uh, not a fascination, but but you love to see guys put that sort of work in. Jeff Cameron said the same thing. Christian Pulisic has said it to some extent, um, and that was Jeff Cameron's point was in order to reach that level, if you truly want to represent the U.S. men's national team, you have there have to be sacrifices along the way. And if you're not willing to make those sacrifices and you're not willing to wrap your brain around what it takes to do that, that's fine. Then there are also players on the U.S. men's national team who have had very different experiences. And, and even within the roster, you've heard these guys say it, come out against it, uh, feel strongly about it. As, because we are such a melting pot, because we have dual nationals, I mean, I love that Jeff Cameron speaks out. I love that Jermaine Jones speaks out. I love that those guys have their opinion and share it and, and participate in the conversation. But for, for all the Jay Demerits and the Jeff Camerons and the, the guys who did it sort of the um, ugliest, uh, hardest working, least glamorous way, there are other guys who – there will be players who come up in the Development Academy who are good enough. Uh, and there are, there are players who f- are from white, suburban, wherever – uh, playing for the coaches who think they're Pep Guardiola, there may be some of those too. And so I just think as I just think as fans of the men's national team or, or wanting to understand the path to professionalism in, in this country, we we have to sort of decide that it's okay to take multiple paths. It's okay for uh, a, a service men or woman's kid who didn't grow up here and had more of a soccer culture in Europe. It's okay to bring that player in, and it's also okay to bring in Michael Bradley, whose dad coached in Chicago and, and grew up playing for the soccer. It's okay to have that guy. It's okay to have Jay Demerit. It's okay to have a guy that spent four years at an NCAA Division One school. It's okay to have an NASL guy be called in, Bruce Arena. I'm sorry. It's okay if those guys from the second tier are good enough and are banging in goals or whatever. We, we have to be okay with the multiple paths or at least – be okay with, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know the right way to say it. The head coach is always going to have the choice of who he brings in, and us as fans can't automatically jump to the conclusion and say, well, he didn't work hard enough, or he's not good enough, or he hasn't done these things. It's okay to watch the games 90, minute, 90 minutes at a time and have an opinion about a player that got brought in and yell at Wondolowski for missing against Belgium and do all those sorts of things, but you have to be okay bringing everybody in. And I just, it's easy to fall in love with the the hardworking, you know, you just go to the mind versus the heart thing. You have to be okay with all of it. You can't just get in your mind and say, these guys are the best representatives or these guys are automatically better. You have to put people in positions who can, who can do it together and, and give us the best chance to win. And that's, that's the debate we're going to continue to have at the men's national team level, but the federation president election today plays a role in that. And and that's why I think today was so important. You know, as we wrap up, cause you, you, you know, you hit the nail on the head about with the, the path to the pro and, you know, Hercules Gomez, we mentioned him and Max Barreto's podcast. If you guys can listen to the one, Yes, we're going to plug a another podcast on, on our podcast. Um, if you guys can go on and, and check out the one that they did with Bob Bradley, uh, got really intense, uh, but you know, it all was cordial and it was so it's, I, I like when Hercules talks about, did he slip through the cracks and just somehow, some way 
made his way. And, you know, he mentioned to Bob a couple of times because Bob was like, well, I wouldn't say you fell through the cracks because you played for the national team, didn't you? And Hercules kept saying, but how did I get there though? I had to leave our country, go make a name for myself, be the leading goal scorer and, you know, in, in the league that he played in just to be able to get called up. Like I didn't, I didn't have the best club coaching growing up and uh, you know, and then the college soccer stuff like that. Uh, you know, so did I fall through the cracks? Maybe, maybe not, but you know, because I was told I wasn't as good when I was a kid in America, but I developed and I had coaches, you know, in Mexico that trusted me and liked the way I played and they, they made me develop into what I became. And so it, it is that, um, to, for me, you know, the one thing I liked that you mentioned was I've always told people that I, you can't fault the military kids or the kids who have some type of American connection that live in, in other countries, the, the dual, na- the dual nationality kids, um, you can't fault them if they want to come play for, for America and they've got the proper, um, reasons to do so. You can't fault them for that. Uh, you know, I, I, I love the Aaron Johansons, you know, who are, who come over to play. I love the, um, uh, you know, I just, of course, pretty much everybody except Timmy Chandler. Cause I was just like, Oh my God, he's not that good. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's all discussion for another day. But you, a lot of these, the Danny Williamses, and and the thing I love most about Jeff, what Jeff Cameron was saying was like, we have to send our best players to Europe, like we have to do that, because that's the only way we're going to get better. And the 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 Christian politics of the world, yes, he came up through an or, unorthodox style uh, of 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 um, you know leagues and teams that he played on, but he made his way across into Europe, uh, you know. Um, Giuseppe Rossi made his way into Europe. You know, fortunately, you know, he's very, very injured, uh, especially often. Um, but, you know, the Danny Williams is, and, I, you know, thank God DeAndre Yedlin went over and he made some very good points about, you know, who, really who was Clint Dempsey before he went to Tottenham. Uh, you know, that was something that kind of stuck my head. I was like, yeah, I think all of us kind of knew him as, as the guy from the revolution. Uh, but was he, was he truly as good as a player as he is now? I wouldn't think so. Uh, yeah, he was good in college, um, but you know when he got to Tottenham and he got to Fulham and, and really kind of kind of got himself going from there. You know, he became this massive star, massive player. Um, but I think just kind of as 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 we wrap up here, um, and and thanks to all the people who are watching this live on on Hangouts and and on Facebook, our new Facebook page. Um, you know, where as a, I guess for us the common man or the common women. Uh, the, 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 the grassroots people, where do we go from here and what do we do? Not kind of a, not a, a prediction of why well, I think this is what could happen. Just what, where do we go for sure from here? I, I think we can do both. Um, just to what you were sort of alluding to a moment ago there. I think we can do both. I think we can both be proud of sending players overseas and, and, um, doing what Jeff Cameron was talking about uh, in that article and, and just be understand that that is the destination in terms of professional soccer and be okay with it. I think we can do that and work to improve our own system. Um, for your question about what do we do now here today? I, I think we've touched on a couple of them already. Um, I think coaching education is huge um, and not just, uh, the cost of it, but the content of it. Um, are we going to talk about methodology or are we going to talk about um, 
skills uh, and the types of players we want and need. You know, if we all turn on our TVs uh, early on Saturday and Sunday mornings, we know characteristics of players over there. So is our coaching education talking about how to help develop those players? And is that education affordable? Or are we talking about methodology? We can have that conversation at a different time, but I think that's something that we should not wait to do. We, sh- we need to have a very serious coaching education discussion in this country. Um, the, other thing, that. the other thing we can do here now today is start in our own backyards. We talked about being a common man and asking our state associations those sorts of questions. The other thing is just start with your club, with your team, and, and try and increase the culture. Don't just have a practice. Uh, have a have a watch party for two non-U.S. teams this summer. Just watch the game for what it is. Try and create a culture in your neighborhood, around your school, with your kids that um, shares the love of the game regardless of who's playing um, so you can encourage them to, you know, so you look up and they're in the backyard with a ball on their own without you having to ask them to do it or or those sorts of things. Um, So the role that we play on a very local level to create the culture is huge. The coaching education is huge. Um, and I, I, I just, those two things stick out to me on, on where do we go from here and what do we do next? And then like we talked about not too long ago was the, the accountability portion is make sure we keep the people in charge on their toes and let them know that this wasn't a, a one-time thing. And while Trinidad stung and not being at the world cup this summer stings, um, that it's, it's something that's not going to go away that uh, we want to continue to move the sport forward in this country and, and keep uh, keep our kids doing it as often as possible or with as much joy as possible. And, and uh, I think if we do those sorts of things, uh, some of the leaders locally, regionally, nationally will emerge on their own. As long as we continue to do those things, the cream of the crop will sort of rise to the top in terms of, leaders who you can trust, coaches who are doing it the right way, and all those sorts of things. Those things will take care of themselves as long as we don't become complacent in where we're at today. Yeah, I, I, the thing for me that it's so weird that <laughs> politics, elected officials, things along those lines, you know, for me, uh, candidate I don't like loses, I get super salty about it. I'm salty, you know, till the, the next the next election. But for this one, and I don't know it's because of my true emotional investment in the sport that I love. You know, it's called the beautiful game for a reason. And I think even more now, not only having a passion for it before, but now that the fact that my daughter shares a passion for soccer, my son doesn't know it yet because he just turned one, but he's going to have a passion for soccer. You know, my, my wife has a passion for soccer now. Um, you know, while soccer is not exactly the top sport, uh, on her side of the family, but I feel like because of the connection with me now that there's, they have a a connection for passion for the game. So I think for me, the best thing that, that I'm trying to do, and then I, I, I was a typical, I think as soon as the, the results came out, I was fired up for probably about 15 minutes and was tweet blasting a storm about, you know, why I thought it was wrong. But I was able to somehow maturely, thank God, at the age of 33, <laughs> um, <laughs> say, you know what? Here's the thing that we got to do. And I think to kind of go on top of what you were talking about from a grassroots level is, um, yes, the common man. I, I feel like and I, when I say common man, it always makes me think of Dusty Road. Sorry, that's a pro wrestling reference. <laughs> um, but I truly believe that the, the son of the plumber, like I feel like that's that is us. Um 
we have to going forward. And I know I saw um, some analysts put this, but we have to, at this moment, fully support Carlos and we have to fully support our federation because it's all we have. We don't have another entity to, to go, well, we're going to go on this side now and see what, you know, how they can make things better for us. We have to truly support them until, because it's still early in the process. I mean, this is less than, uh, you know, 12 hours away from when the election happened, but until they give us a reason not to support them, we have to give them everything that we can to ma- help make things better. And the moment where they don't support us, that's the moment where we get even more involved and we try to create change and we try to get in the ears of those who do have the power and, and create a better place for yourself, for myself, for Nick, for, for the high school kids currently playing, the college kids currently playing, the little itty bitty ones who are starting to play now. Um, we, the first moment that this, this um, regime does something to affect those kids. That's when we've really got to step up and say, okay, enough is enough. Because like you said, now there is an awareness. Now there is this attention that's been brought to it and, and holding the the people in power accountable. And that's I, accountability. I think is one of the best, uh, you know, we, we talk about like within coaching, you know, having an accountability partner, somebody you can reach out to and kind of vent to and help bring you back to earth. I think now that's our job as the common man is to be that accountability partner for the USSF president, for uh, the uh, vice president, whatever that is determined, uh, whether it's appointed or elected. Um, and I'm kind of wishwashy. I don't really know all the, the details on that. That's that'd be another podcast for another day on that one. But uh, um, I think that, I, you know, like I said, it, it, it's all going to go from us on the bottom level. Like you said, you know, the grassroots people, we've got to really, be more vocal with our state associations, more vocal with our clubs, more vocal with the higher clubs uh, and get our voices heard. I think the big thing that, you know, I hope people take away from this is, you know, I think you could hear uh, between all three of us, uh, which Nick had to leave for a dinner. That's why you haven't heard him for like the last hour. Um, But uh, I think the big thing is, you know, now it's said and done, it's over with, there's nothing we can do to change it. What we've got to do is we've got to support, we've got to help and we've got to do our job. Um, John, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, like I said, you are, yes, there's the soccer by Ives. Yes. There's the grant walls, uh, and the, the Sebastian sells ours, but, uh, we can't get them on the podcast. So <laughs> we got the next best thing is, as our own, I think we're gonna call you like the soccer chat, uh, us correspondent, because like I said, like you're the studying that you do of the business side of soccer and the deep uh, inner workings of the, of the Federation are, are just fantastic. And I'm glad that, um, that through this, this podcast uh, that, that we have met you because you, you've never hesitated. If I've asked you a question of sending me some type of information to, to give me the knowledge for it. So I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, how can people who are listening to this or watching this uh, with our, with our viewers that are on here, watching on, on Facebook for the first time, uh, how can people get in contact with you if they have any questions? Yeah. Um, first of all, thanks, Sean. Yeah, it's uh, you guys are doing a great job, and I and I hope your numbers continue to go up. Um, I listen as often. We're trying. As I, I, I sit at my desk uh, and listen to podcasts and crank away at my day job and those sorts of things. But I, I share that same passion that you have, and and we are not alone in that sense as well. So um, it, it's not going anywhere, and I, I think our passion for it and the people like us are going to continue the conversation. So uh, thanks for having me on. I, I love doing it. I, I enjoy the heck. Uh, uh, out of talking about it and and this is what we need to do to to just keep things going uh, we need to continue to talk about it and and i'm just thrilled that uh, you guys invited me on originally to have that conversation with whitey and you guys and 
Uh, I'm happy to come do it any any time you want. Uh, right or wrong, I'm by no means am I, uh, am I the exact uh, you know fountain of all the information, but I I do try and consume as much of it as I can because I don't want to be sharing opinions that aren't informed opinions. And so yes, I very much try to do that. And if I can. If I get bumped for Hercules Gomez, I understand. <laughs> no, no. I, I think I think the big thing though is that you you have everything. You're the grassroots consultant uh, correspondents for us. So all, right. all the the Taylor Twelmans and the Hercules Gomez's and the Stuart Holdens, while they're talking to the upper echelons, you are for us the common man, the correspondent when it comes to U.S. soccer. It, it's uh, I'll give you my Twitter handle here, and then um, I'll just tell you where we're at with the club thing. Um, yeah. My last name is Denham, D-E-N-H-A-M underscore John, J-O-N. Um, I, I, like I said, I love Twitter. It's where I get uh, a lot of my news and, and articles and soccer related and non-soccer related. And um, I'm on there all the time and I, I enjoy the heck out of the the, uh, the app itself and what it offers. Um, leaving the college game here after 15 years, we just had our sort of end of the year banquet and said goodbye to a coaching staff I love and and, and guys and, and girls that I've coached that are just amazing. And to start this new chapter, we are, yeah, we're going to do an expansion UPSL team here in Eastern Iowa. We're going to play in a region uh, in the Midwest that has uh, is growing. And so, yeah, the, the grassroots sense of it and, and just trying to wrap my brain around things with the folks that are helping us get the club off the ground is a really unique perspective. And um, I'm enjoying the heck out of every minute of it. I'm, I'm hoping to get uh, the soccer loving community in here, uh, to help us along the way. And we're going to try and put a competitive team on the field, but it's union Dubuque FC. Um, we are going to have tryouts here this spring and be off and running here in the Midwest portion of the UPSL this spring and summer. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to come back and, and join you guys and tell you about Nick as a player is whenever you're ready to have me back. Yes. We, we want to hear about Nick as a player uh, for your guys' tryouts. Will you accept a 33 year old somewhat out of shape, but going back to the gym to get his cardio up, uh, adult men's league uh, superstar by chance? Absolutely. Come one, yes. come all. Um, <laughs> you, you are not the first person to ask that. I've got plenty. Of, <laughs> I'm 38. I've got plenty of former teammates or guys I've coached that are a little bit closer to my age that have jokingly said the same thing. And um, like, I just want a two day contract. Like, yeah. let me sign and train the day before game. Let me dress for a game. Give me like two minutes and I'm done. Like, just give me that two minutes of fame. <laughs> Sounds good. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, John, so much for coming on. Like we said, uh, John is our, uh, the grassroots U.S. soccer correspondent, official correspondent for Soccer Chat. Uh, we want to thank you guys for coming on. Uh, whether you're watching uh, this live, uh, you know, it's kind of cool to see the viewers that are popping on here and are watching. And and the, those of you who had submitted questions and comments throughout the day, this was, this was fantastic to be a part of um, online all day long. Uh, even while I was watching the election fold in laundry, or uh, I was watching uh, the uh, part of it uh, while I was uh, taking my daughter to ballet class and just seeing people's comments and questions and concerns. And it is, it's awesome that there is a, attention to it uh and that's all we can ask for and and now the now the eyes of the world are or the eyes of the the country are on us and they are looking to see what we're going to do uh from here going forward like i said i on, on my end my name is sean soderling you can find me on twitter at coach soderling uh i'm going to do my best to start supporting this administration going forward uh until they give me a reason not to uh i you can find this chat every single 
Thursday on iTunes, uh, on Google Play, wherever you may get your podcast from. Uh, if you subscribe on iTunes, when you wake up on Thursday morning, the podcast will be right there. This is actually one of our special shows that we do uh, probably every once a month. Uh, we're just, we just started a Facebook account because uh, our Twitter game was pretty, going pretty good. And then we realized that we had a lot of coaching friends who didn't have Twitter, but they were on Facebook. So we just started a Facebook page. You can find it at the same place that you find uh, us on Twitter. It's at chat soccer with no E. So that's S O C C R. Uh, we, we put a lot of different uh, things on there and we want you guys to comment in the comment sections. If we post a question, or we post an article, things along those lines. Um, because you know, th- this election does truly affect, uh, does affect us and those who are working with kids and it affects our kids who are playing. Uh, if you're not a coach, you're not within a club system. Um, Every Wednesday night, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Twitter, we do our soccer chat. Uh, just coaches getting together and networking and, and talking about the game and talking about uh, tactics and situations, things along those lines. Uh, just very interactive. Coaches networking uh, gives you that chance to talk to coaches you know, once a week rather than once a year at convention or uh, every now and then at camps or, or at showcases, things along those lines. Um, but Nick, had, like we said, he had to pop off earlier. You can find him at Coach in Rizzo on twitter uh, we truly appreciate you guys for listening uh watching this if you're watching this uh, and being a part of the conversation because you are just as much a part of the equation as any elected official absolutely put into office you guys like john myself nick you are who are listening to this you who are watching this you are just the biggest piece of the puzzle as any elected official in the u.s federation we all can make this work and we all are going to make this work because i truly believe i've got this huge u.s soccer bottle of tequila that i bought at the last world cup <laughs> it's got u.s soccer all over it i don't even know what the tequila's name is but i've got it and i bought it and i said i'm never open it until the day the u.s men's national team won the world cup and I have said that from the time that I was a little boy in 1994 watching the World Cup for the first time, that they will win it in my lifetime. And now I have the inspiration of when they win it, we're cracking that bottle open, baby, and everybody's getting a shot. Hmm. And that's what we all need. We're all going to get a shot at some point. Thank you for listening. He's John. You heard Nick earlier. I'm Sean. Thanks for watching. This is Soccer Chat. Thank you, guys.